This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention, I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash startalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash startalk today. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk. Neil deGrasse Tyson here, your personal astrophysicist, and we have our Cosmic Queries edition, a fan favorite. Chuck, hey, you know it's a fan favorite. They love it. They come- they love it. They love they it. Just love Inquiring it. minds want to know. That's what it comes down to. And we put out the expertise of our guest and what the topic is, and then we get flooded with questions. And today, we've got a colleague of mine, David Kipping, from up at Columbia University. Yay! In the, the Department of Astronomy and Astrophysics. He has tap roots from the UK at Cambridge University and University College London. And he's he's part of what they call the Cool Worlds Lab. We're going to okay. ask him about. Okay, so <laughs> are you yeah, are you cool? A little, or are you little, not? little little brag, little brag there, a little humble brag. A you know, little humble brag. Yeah, we deal with the cool worlds, baby. <laughs> <laughs> David, welcome to Star Talk. Thank you so much, everyone. Yeah, the, the name is is not supposed to be like dope planet. So that's that's not what we're going <laughs> right. for. It really is yeah. cool, like actually temperature cool planets, but. I appreciate yeah. that we're, we're kind of cool. Welcome anyway. to Dope Ass Planets. <laughs> <laughs> you want to be one of us. <laughs> you wish you could. Yeah. Only some get that. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so, and you're no stranger to the uh, social media platforms. You've got your own YouTube channel. It has ne- nearly a million subscribers. Dude. Nice. Yeah. Keep it coming. Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, that's all pandemic to, to thank for that. I think, you know, we just, I've been making these videos for years and people just got into it. Recently. David, David, <laughs> David, let's let's not be um, um, uh, false, falsely humble. I mean, we, 
we, we can look at you, David. We know why it's happening. We, <laughs> no, we can look right at you, David. No, no, no. We see, Chuck, the, we see the Superman swoop. That's just this camera. That's just this camera. Okay, we see it, David. We we, we understand when when you're the With boy band. With the lock band, of hair across the forehead. Yeah, when you're the right, boy okay. band of physics. There's uh, a lot uh, of filters as, happening here to make this happen. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, Chuck, the real issue here is most people just ate Cheetos and binged on TV shows, and he creates an entire YouTube empire. Yeah, nice. Right, right. Well, there it is. They're crazy. Yeah. I tried to, I tried to uh, create a YouTube show on um, Cheetos and couch <laughs> dwelling. <laughs> Didn't work out. Didn't not work. quite a million Didn't views work. yet. <laughs> yeah, not quite a million views, but quite but, a million. Wait, wait, wait. He has a million, million subscribers, but plenty of his videos have millions of views. Uh, That's not even the wow. thing. So let me ask you, David. So tell us. What are dope ass? What's the dope ass world's lab? <laughs> yeah, the, the, <laughs> it's not, we don't usually go by the name, but Cool World's Lab is uh, it's it's the research team I started here at Columbia. So you know, we we there was a team called the Cool Stars Lab in uh, San Diego, right. I think, and I thought that was a great name because obviously it's a fun play on words, and everyone's interested in cool stars. Um, and yeah. as as we've been discovering more and more planets, you know, we know of lots and lots of planets which are close to their stars, but it's the planets which are far away from their star, where the temperatures are cool right. enough that we get really excited because then you have the possibility of liquid and, and water, now, all this kind of stuff. Cool is a relative term, so what would cool be? Like, is yeah, Earth, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Mm. Quantify yeah. this. Quantify we're we're deliberately vague in that sense. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's okay. no, there's no, like, if you're, you're 301 Kelvin, you're too hot, but 300 Kelvin, you're good. There's no hard, there's no hard line. It kind of depends on the science problem. You know, we, we're interested in moons. That's one of the big things we're interested in. That really doesn't directly have anything to do with temperature, but actually does kind of work out that way that when you're far away from the star, there's a better chance of moon. So I wouldn't. Yeah, but you're counting, wait, you're counting Earth as being far away from the sun. In this, in, in, this, this in this picture. Yeah, it's a cool world in this picture. We I would, would be, yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right, so, so why do we have so many exoplanets that are so close to their host star? That's just detection bias, unfortunately. I mean, I wish oh, it wasn't okay. true. Um, I mean, all right, the tell most... us about detection bias. Tell us about that. Because we hear about bias all the time, yeah. and usually it's some psychological right. bias. Yeah. No <laughs> one is thinking that there could be actual scientific bias that has nothing to do right. with how whether you're a bigot. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah. we're used to it happening at a traffic stop. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so te tell us what you mean by a detection bias. Yeah, it's, it's not bigoted astronomers in this case. You know, that, that does sometimes happen, but that's not what's happening here. The, the, real, the real problem is that the, mo the most successful way of discovering planets is this transit method. I'm sure you've talked about many times on StarTalk. The idea of as a planet eclipses in front of the star, it blocks out some of the starlight, and of course the star gets dimmer. But in order to get that chance alignment, uh, it's, it's much, much easier if the star and the, is, and the planet are very, very close together. Oh, right. You put them far apart to get that chance alignment. It's kind of hard to show, but it's, it's kind of improbable that the longer the axis is, the, the less likely is you're going to get that those two objects to line up. Right. And so for that reason, the vast majority are, are far away. So this is like looking for your car keys under the lamppost because that's where you're going to find them. So if you're going to look for planets, you're most likely to find just those planets that are close by. And if they're so close that they're very hot for being so close to their host star, I guess that's the Un problem. Unfortunately for me, I mean, some folks are fascinated by those hot planets. I, I'm course, obviously yeah. more interested in the cooler objects. Okay. On the possibility of life, ultimately. 
In in part, I mean, I, as I said, a big part of one of the reasons I lo- love these things is just exotica can happen out here. You can have icy rings, you can mm. have exomoons. There's even right. a paper on the archive that will surely get debunked tomorrow, claiming of a Trojan exoplanet at these kind of distances. So, so first, you... tell everyone what the archive is, okay. and then tell us everyone about Trojan Trojan objects. Yeah, there, there's a there's a regular posting, um, an electronic repository called the archive, but it's archive with an X. And um, astronomers can post discoveries, papers that they have. Usually they've been through peer review, but sometimes, like the paper that was up today, I don't think it had been peer-reviewed yet. And there was a claim of uh, two new planets which happened to be in the same orbit as each other, which is oh, which would be wow. a new Race track style. Yeah, yeah. Race track, yeah they're yeah. chasing each other. So that's called a uh, horseshoe mm-hmm. orbit. And theoretically, that's possible. Um, I just think a lot of us are pretty skeptical about the data for this particular case. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. All right. And so then you said something about exomoons. You have rings, icy rings out here, Mm -hmm. moons, and liquid water, life. Um, I mean, there's there's all sorts of fun jazz that can happen once you get far from the star. And the kaboodle. That's why they're cool stars. Exactly. Cool worlds. Yeah. (laughs) Cool worlds. (laughs) Sorry. Cool worlds. Right. All right. So, Chuck, you got questions for this man? I do. Let's as do it. Usual. So let's jump right into it. Wait, just to be clear, these are Patreon members who have are at least the minimum membership level. Right. Which we it's, reduced. Yes, we okay? we dropped just, it down to five dollars to give you no excuse. Five dollars. Now you got no damn. You got no excuse. You know, five dollars I mean? a month. Right. And then you get to ask questions. Okay. That's go it. For it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here we go for a cool world. Uh, what's the largest planet that's ever discovered? And how large can a planet get conceivably? How large Ooh. could a planet get? I mean, you love think, that. Yeah, that makes sense because our sun isn't so big. So are there suns out there that are like super big and then they have super big planets around them? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. There's a correlation. Yeah, the like, sun like having a planet around a bigger star. <laughs> right. It passes on right, its right. genes almost. Yeah, not, not quite. So uh, let's let's track back. So for planets, usually uh, the biggest planet that was cold, if it was cool, and there was no heat involved or anything like this, pretty much the biggest planet you can get is Jupiter-sized. You actually, oh. If you just spoon more mass onto Jupiter, it right. doesn't get any bigger. It just, it just gets more massive and its density increases, but its physical size doesn't really change. In oh. fact, if anything, actually gets slightly smaller. Mm, get slices okay. slightly, slightly smaller. Okay, so often in the public, when people say big, they don't always know whether they're referring to size or mass, right? Right. right. I think those are those are conflated often when people are asking questions in the public. So you you make a very interesting point. You can increase the mass of Jupiter right. by spooning matter into it, and the extra gravity actually compresses the gas right. more than it otherwise would. Yeah. So, the, I mean, in terms of the, the maximum mass, let's go that. Let's just keep spooning mass on. Eventually, it'll become a star. Right. It kind of goes through this period of being a brown dwarf, but I think lots of us think, well, brown dwarfs, that's kind of a made-up category to some degree. It's effectively still just a type of Jupiter, some kind of super Jupiter. Right. And eventually, when you start spooning enough mass on, you'll get to the critical point, which I think we can all agree something special happens, which is when hydrogen fusion occurs. There's enough pressure inside the, in the core of that object that hydrogen fusion occurs. And now you have a star. And that and happens that pressure, about 80 you've spooning, you've been spooning more and more mass onto uh-huh. it. So therefore, the, the pressures down in the middle keep going up. 
Correct. Right. Okay. So, so, so about 80, 80 times the mass of Jupiter. So, so Jupiter is not close to being a failed star. You know, people say Jupiter is right. a failed star. It has to be 80 times more, <laughs> 80 times more mass to get. It's, a, it's kind of a long way off, I would say, from being a failed star. But it, it has a similar size, physical size, to the smaller stars. That is true. Interesting. Ooh. That is okay. that's really great. Yeah. So Jupiter is really, that, that's it. Jupiter already has more mass than all other planets combined. Right. But you're saying it could have been even more massive and we'd still call it a planet. And then nothing else matters in the solar system except the star and Jupiter. Like, nothing. Yeah. you know what I tell people, Chuck, that Jupiter is more bigger compared to Earth than Earth is compared to Pluto. Okay. So if you're, on, if you're an Earthling and you want to say, let's get rid of Pluto's planet status, and you feel good about yourself. Right. If we were Jupiterians, we could feel the same way and kick Earth out and we'd have no recourse. Right. Because, yeah. Mm -hmm. But but also size does matter. Uh, so Pluto, <laughs> Pluto well, if, you you. if you really want to get these planets big, you have to add heat. So you take one of these Jupiters and you, you park it next to a really hot star very close Well, then it in. puffs up. It puffs up. So then you can get oh. up to something like... 170% the size of Jupiter, so 1.7 times larger. Probably not quite, I think, I don't think we have any ones that are twice as big, but they right. get pretty close to that so, limit. So, a, really so a tad up. under twice the size of Jupiter is kind of our limits for planets, no matter where they are. As far as we know. I mean, okay. that's the fun thing about science. You never know. Someone might make a discovery tomorrow of a three-Jupiter-sized a three planet, and uh, you know, there's even ideas of dark matter planets. Dark matter planets would be Extremely large, probably larger right. than the sun, in fact. So See, you now you're doing crazy. your own queries, sir. <laughs> <laughs> you're doing your own queries because now we got to know what a freaking dark matter planet is. I've never heard of this. That's amazing. It's a hypothetical. It's a hypothetical, but dark matter doesn't like to clump. You know, it's, it's very diffuse. It interacts very weakly. And so it's kind of hard to um, collapse it down, to cool it down. As normal gases, when it when normal gas gets hot, it cools down. It radiates, and so it cools down. And the gas collapses, and eventually cools down to a point where you can actually start to form stars because the gas has, has concentrated Condensed. so much. Right. Dark matter doesn't really do that, but there are some varieties of dark matter models that allow for a bit more clumpiness. It's allowed to kind of interact a bit more strongly. That could in extreme. It's a fairly extreme idea, but in some extreme versions, it could potentially form a dark matter planet, but it would be larger than the sun uh, It would, and of order of, you know, just a few Earth masses and it would be very weakly bound together. Oh. So it'd be a pretty... Um, but then what right would you have to call it a planet? Just, that that's for... I, I really don't care about the name. It's a gathering I don't, I don't of mass yeah. over here. <laughs> I don't know what to call it, yeah. I mean, people, okay. you talked about Pluto. I never get into that debate. I'm like, just call, yeah. it, call it whatever you want. I, I, it's interesting. It's an interesting mm -hmm. world. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, more questions for David Kipping on, what do we call it, Chuck? Badass world? Oh, yeah. Dope-ass world. <laughs> Dope-ass world. <laughs> cool, cool worlds among the exoplanets in our galaxy when Star Talk returns.
If you and your grandma don't speak the same language, it can be hard to express your love for her. McDonald's can help. To celebrate the launch of the new Grandma McFlurry, McDonald's is inviting fans to visit sweetconnections.ai, where you can record a video message for grandma that's translated into her native language. The tech will clone your voice, reanimate your face, and translate your words so that you look like you're speaking another language. Check out sweetconnections.ai, then get a Grandma McFlurry at McDonald's. Available for a limited time. At participating McDonald's, select languages available. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Do you want to set up your child for success? Of course you do. Maybe you want to save money on private tutoring, or maybe it's just out of your budget altogether. Is this a big school year for your child? Like maybe they're starting kindergarten, middle school, or high school, or some other milestone. Maybe your family moved and they're starting at a new school. Is your child ahead? Not getting challenged enough in class? Well, we love that little smarty, but we want them to be engaged. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or the personality. There's one site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Kids can use it at home on the computer or on the go through the app on your phone or your tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything itself. And no more trying to figure out how to explain math equations or grammar rules yourself. IXL has built-in explanation videos. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And Star Talk Radio listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash StarTalk. Visit IXL.com slash StarTalk to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. I'm Joel Cherico, and I make pottery. You can see my pottery on my website, CosmicMugs.com. Cosmic Mugs, art that lets you taste the universe every day. And I support Star Talk on Patreon. This is Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson. We're back, Star Talk. Cosmic Queries, the Cool Worlds edition, with the founder of the Cool Worlds Lab at Columbia University, David Kipping. Uh, so, David. What, how many people are part of this lab? 
Let's see. We have I have three graduate students right now, um, and at any one time, there's somewhere between sort of three and six undergraduates. It's sort of this is some stochastic okay. variation in that sense. All right, good. Yeah. So this you just you just invented this out of whole cloth. Yeah, yeah. I also have an editor as well for my videos because the whole there's a whole separate thing of the videos we make on on YouTube. So I work, got it, got I, it. and you know he he edits my videos, but isn't involved in the research directly. Yeah. And what's the name of your channel? Just cool worlds. That's it. Just cool worlds. I wasn't YouTube very creative. Channel. I had this one great idea for a name, and I just kept using it. <laughs> okay, just you should have come to me and Chuck. We would have said dope, dope ass, ass planets, dope ass <laughs> planets. <laughs> we could we totally could have hooked you up. You know, call next time. <laughs> Need a time right? machine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, Chuck, you got more questions from uh, Patreon. Yep. Support. Let's do it from Patreon. This is Richard Hart, and Richard says. Richard here from Elk Grove, California. Elk Grove. Yeah. Uh, looking that at that sounds wealthy, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound wealthy? It does. Elk, it, Grove. Elk Grove. It better be. It better have. You better have money to live in Elk Grove. Okay. <laughs> Let me tell you something. There ain't no ghetto in the world named Elk Grove. <laughs> you ain't gonna find no hood named Elk Grove. Elk anything. Okay. <laughs> You know? <laughs> All right. Here we go. Uh, yeah, we're the bloods from yeah, Elk Grove. That's right. We're the Elk Grove bloods. That's right. Mm. Quite frankly, we don't take kindly to Crips coming this way. Mm. I'm sorry. You're going to have to go back to Moose Lane, you, you Crips, you. We'll, or we'll give you a stern looking at. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck, that's the seeds of a whole sitcom. It really you realize. Is. <laughs> right. Elk grow for life, bitch. Anyway, um, uh, uh, he says, looking at Hano Rain's exoplanet app, there are more than 300 planets noted in the habitable zone of their stars, of which a vast majority of them are at least half the mass of Jupiter or bigger, sir. Is this just a result of how we're currently detecting planets, or do you think it's a potentially common occurrence for a gas giant to be in the habitable zone of its star? Oh, I like that. That's a good question, Ooh, and it kind of makes sense the way he poses it. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that's definitely something we're excited about. And it, it rings true. I mean, you have to be careful when you look at this these catalogs, like on the app or on, on NASA Exoplanet Archive. It's another great website if you want to go through all of these yourself. I'm not sure if Hano is still updating that app anymore. So it might I'm sure there's even more actually past that. Right. But you have to be careful. Because the total, the total exoplanets are over 5,000. Seems to me we, should, we would have more than 300 in a Goldilocks zone, you'd think. Possibly. Yeah, okay. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not sure. But in any case, uh, that... You have to be careful because of all these biases, you know, these detection biases that you're only, you're only ever seeing a fraction of the true the true number. Right, so right. people have done the calculation of correcting for that bias to actually figure out how many planets are there really in this temperate zone. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that you're right, that there are a, a, a surprisingly large number, about 50% of all sun-like stars, FGK-type stars, we call them sun-like stars, they have planets with radii in between about twice that of the Earth all the way up to the biggest Jupiter. So the, all of those are gas giants. Mini mini gas giants, Neptunes, mini mm -hmm. Neptunes, super Neptunes, Saturns, Jupiters, all so of that. So that's even correcting for the observer's bias? Correct. Half of okay. all stars have gaseous planets in their wow. upper zone, which, which obviously don't have solid surfaces. Wait, 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 wait. That's something different from what you said. 
I, I thought half of all planets in the habitable zones are that size. You're saying half of all stars. Correct. Oh my God, that's a that's whole a lot. other. Yeah, that's, that's a lot. lot. Yeah. They're very that's common. Another, another. That's from Kepler statistics. Uh, for, for Earth's, we actually we Kepler, don't even know the what the answer is. Telescope designed specifically for these discoveries. Correct, yeah. thank you. Yeah, mm -hmm. the NASA mission that flew, what was it, 2009 to 2014, 15. So sure. we, we know that um, there are lots and lots of those gaseous planets which could have moons, and that's why we're so excited to look for them. And in fact, there may even be far more than Earth-sized planets at that distance. We, we actually don't know what the number is of how many Earths there are at that distance yet. Wow. So, if, so you like the moons because they give, you like moons of gaseous planets because they give you a surface to hang out on. Right. I mean, there, there could be there could be more habitable moons than habitable planets in the universe. Other aliens could be looking at us, thinking, "What's going on over there? Why are they living on right. a planet?" Like most of us live on moons. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's why they're not interested in us. We're like we're just these weird people living on a planet. I'm going to say uh, that's the one cool thing that I like about Star Wars when it comes to how they envision other worlds and galaxies, solar systems, is that often. You're, they're going to a moon of a planet. They're not going mm -hmm. to that planet. It's whatever yeah. system, but then where they're actually landing is a moon itself. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would also add that the host planet is going to look way better in the sky, right. from a moon than the moon is from the planet. True. Just thought yeah, I'd that's true. Tell you that. Yeah. Just imagine Saturn in the night sky, just, just looming large. Wow. It just that would just be. Totally cool. That is cool. Yeah. But, I always yeah. wonder how history would be different um, had we had that happen to us. Like, how would we discover the laws of physics differently? Celestial mechanics, uh, the Kepler's laws of motions. Would the presence of such a large body in our sky accelerate it? Would it decelerate it? Um, obviously, there's right. all this kind of radio stuff flying off uh, Jupiter as well. Would that affect the technology we develop on our home planet, our home world even? So... Uh, it's 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 ripe for science fiction. That's why Star Wars has so much fun with it. So wow. I think about it the opposite way, David. If we evolved on the surface of Venus, which is a very thick cloud cover, and it would just get sort of get light in the day and dark at night, uh. but you mm. wouldn't know how long, how much delayed would astronomy have been? Yeah. Because you'd have no idea what's going on outside of this fog. And, this and we would all have seasonal affective disorder. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it'd be like, look up. Why? <laughs> For what? So sad. I'm just... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Chuck, keep him coming. All right, let's go to Matthew Power. And uh, what a great name, Matthew Power. Uh, since some planets in our solar system have higher concentrations of certain elements, iron on Mars, for example, does that suggest our original solar nebula, once flattened by a centri centrifugal force, may have been ring-like with bands of certain elements that eventually formed the planets? Sort of a solar system-sized version of Saturn's rings. Oh, I like that. Wow. Because that, that would mean that different places within the ring would coalesce to form a planet and, and have a very different concentration from other places in the disk. So how does that all land with you, David? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. In terms of iron abundance, um, I'm not. I'm actually. I've not heard that before. That Mars has a higher iron abundance than the Earth, especially I know Mercury wins. Mercury, Mercury definitely does. Huge iron core, right? 
usually the explanation we evoke for making sense of what's going with Mercury is, I mean, generally we kind of assume that all the planets formed with roughly the same amount of iron, at least in a relative sense compared to their mass. But Mercury does seem to have a lot more iron than the other planets in a relative sense. And so our, our explanation for that is that it was basically struck by many, many meteorites with such high velocity, such high energy, they actually chipped away the, the outer layer of Mercury. So it was once... So you're saying it chips away pieces of mercury that then just gets jettisoned into the solar system? Correct, or, or even just vaporized to some degree from the impact and then and then leaked off as as vapor. Uh, that's mm -hmm. also possible. So it's it's um, like cosmic exfoliation. Very <laughs> good. Yeah, it's, it's like a chemical peel for yeah. the <laughs> almost for the planet. So that probably explains we think why mercury has higher iron abundance. But generally, you assume that for the rest of the planets, it is uniform. And in fact, that is often treated as a default assumption when we look at other exoplanets. We assume that so there's you don't every know for single... sure about Mars, though. We're not quite sure. You're not quite sure. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sh I've never heard that before. So I'd have to fact check that. That Mars... I always like to be honest when, I don't, when I've not heard something before. I've never heard the fact that Mars has a higher iron abundance than the Earth. I'd be somewhat surprised if it's true because I just from my expertise of looking at exoplanets, I know that many of my colleagues explicitly assume that the iron abundance is uniform throughout any given solar system, with Although exceptions like deny, Mercury. We can't deny Mars the fact that it's red because of iron in, a, in its outer crust. Mm. I mean, everywhere, that's pretty much just a rusty place. Right. But so, I, yeah, I think, I think that's partly due to the, the unique history of that planet and its, its distinct okay. chemical environment and the oxidation mm -hmm. that happened on mm -hmm. its surface. Now, you said something, you implied something that I want to tease out. You implied something that I want to tease out here because it's, it's a very important scientific tool, really, sure. that you can make a reasonable assumption about how much iron you'd expect in all of the planets based on the iron that's in the sun, because the sun has most of the mass of the solar system. Then, when the, if the iron differs from that, you get to then look for an explanation for that. Correct. Which is a fascinating way to land on a new problem. Yes. Right? Yeah. I mean, I think... Uh... We did, we did that with the moon. The moon has hardly any iron. Yeah. So how do you be, get, become an object that big with no iron? Mm. That, so then we looked and we thought about it, and then we came with the collision hypothesis mm -hmm. yeah. for, for the moon. So it's fun when something falls out of your expectations. You, it, you get novel accountings. That, that's actually why I don't like this uh, this strategy that many of my colleagues have of assuming explicitly that the iron abundance in the star is the same as the planets. Because, as you just point out, there's already two counterexamples right there, and there's there's probably even more throughout the solar system. No, no, so, I, no, I get that. But if it is different, then you get to look for why it's different. True, Rather but we, than we say, in exoplanets we have no way of directly measuring the iron abundance, at least not yet. I mean, okay. I, don't, I think the only way to do that would be if the if the planet was so hot, it was like Mustafa from Star Wars. It was like a lava world where the rock was literally gaseous, and then you could then you could infer the composition of of the rock from the atmosphere. But barring that, we have no way of measuring the chemical composition of what's inside an exoplanet. Uh, how about Io around Jupiter? Aren't there active volcanoes there? Could you get some? Yeah, that's iron? a good example. So yeah, yeah, kind of like a Mustafa-ish type system, right? Where you have extreme yeah. volcanism, where you can spew mm -hmm. up the gases, and then you get a chance of sampling what was inside. Okay, you need that. Yeah, interesting. All right, that's that's pretty wild. All right, Chuck, give me another. All right, all right, going through all these. Right. Let's let's continue forward. Here we go. 
Uh, this is Christian Holmes, who says, Greeting, Dr. Tyson and Professor Kipping. Quick question. What is the most extreme exoplanet that's been observed? Thank you, Christian from Pennsylvania. Now, Christian does not qualify the word extreme. So yeah. I don't know yeah. exactly what he means, but yeah. maybe, David, you, you can take liberty with that. Okay, I, I, let me sharpen that question and say, David, you presumably have catalogs of exoplanets now. There's more than 5,000. So presumably they, they line up with each other in ways that reveal similarities. Is there an outlier among the 5,000 that that ha- where nobody else looks like it? I think this, it's hard to pick on one. There's, there's several planets which, which come to mind in this case. Um, one is one I helped kind of discover its weirdness of, immediately comes to mind, because it got so much press attention when we released it. It was like 10 years ago now. And it was called Trays 2B. And we called it Erebus, the darkest world. Erebus was the god of darkness, I think, in Greek mythology. Oh, uh, maybe it was Roman mythology. But we, we called it that. We <laughs> called it that. I, I'm going to tell you the Wait, truth. David, it, you didn't it, say it right. It, Tucker has to say it. Arribus. Go ahead. Erebus. 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 I like it. Yeah, you should, you should do all the, all the press work for that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so this, this planet is darker than coal. It's darker than black paint. It reflects less light than basically any material you can come across. Vantablack? Except for Vantablack. Except for Vantablack. Okay. But we don't know. It might be as dark as Vantablack. We only have an upper wow. limit on its darkness. So it might be Wait, even darker than Vantablack as far as we can tell. Wow. What is Vantablack? It's the least reflective material that we know of to date. So it is. it has uh, an albedo of Nothing. No. <laughs> Near zero, Near, I yeah, guess. Almost zero. Okay. Yeah. Wait, wait, so David, if it doesn't reflect any light, how do you know it's there? From transits. It still casts a shadow. Oh. It still casts a shadow. So dope. as it passes in front of the star, it still now blocks that light. Now that's a dope-ass world. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Right. Oh. <laughs> Cast a shadow, but it's very dark. So when it when it passes around, when it passes in front of the star, it blocks out light. When it passes behind the star, we call that the occultation event, you get kind of a moment where you get to detect photons from the planet, light from the planet. So I can take a picture just here, just before the planet passes behind. And now I'm getting light from the planet and light from the star. And I, oh. I take a photo of the two. And then I take a photo when it's behind. And now I've just got light from the star by itself. So subtract one from the other, and you've got light from the planet in isolation. That and is that's brilliant. That's occultation. So that's, that's, how we, that's how we're able to brilliant. tell that. God, I gotta love mm-hmm. science. I know. You gotta science love it. I mean, who well, thinks of this crap? That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, just a, a, a small fact in there that it's very dangerous to subtract and explore the difference between two large numbers. So you, you're yeah. very so, David. Your confidence in that in those results. Uh, you have to you have to be very sure that you're getting what you're looking for there. That's right, right but it's not my first rodeo, Neil. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and, and it's, it's been confirmed thing. by others. Others after me published uh, subsequent work that ended up with the same result. So we feel pretty confident about that Excellent. result. So, Chuck, yeah. you notice it's not him reconfirming his own results because what good would that be? Right, right. The whole point of peer review and 
and multiple studies, that's how science moves. Science loves the haters, baby. Yes, we do. Science yeah. loves the haters. It's like, go ahead and hate on me. No, they're not really haters. They're doing it out of love. Of course. <laughs> of course they are. <laughs> they will try to show you're wrong because they love you. There you go. Well, or they love science. Yeah. I love science. Well, the truth is, in a way, it is kind of loving because in, in trying to show somebody's wrong, you end up confirming their work. And that ends up showing them love. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah so, cool. Love. All right. All right. One more, Chuck, before we, we take our second okay, break. Okay, here we go. Uh, long ago, I was impressed by a professional. Oh, this is Gene. And Gene is just Gene, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, he goes, long ago, I was impressed by a professional astronomer who was studying eclipsing binary stars. I was and am amazed by how much info one can extract with careful measurements and clever bootstrapping. Now yes. we are using the same techniques on exoplanets and the James Webb Space Telescope adds spectral measurements of atmospheres. Could you give a brief summary of what and how we can get details from eclipsing systems? So, you know, we're talking about all of it, not just one yeah, exoplanet yeah, yeah. going in front right. of the star, but the whole system. The whole star system. All right. That's, That's a big question. Whatever, however long it's going to take him to answer, we don't have time in this segment. So let's take a break. When we come back, we'll get the full explanation of how the methods, tools, and tactics of eclipsing binary stars have been lifted and adopted and modified in the service of David Kipping's dope-ass uh, <laughs> Dope-ass world. Department. <laughs> dope-ass world. But when Star Talk Cosmic Queries continues. Seasons change. Why not your gaming tech? Upgrade now during the Alienware Summer Sale event and save on select next-gen Alienware PCs and more. Pair your impressive skills with our advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop, powered by an Intel Core i9 processor featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Plus, build your dream setup with great deals on select gaming monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at Alienware.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge gaming technology to conquer the competition and free shipping on everything. Exceptional prices await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com deals. Guess who's a Verizon Fios customer? Okay, it's me, you got me, that's right. And I love Verizon Fios because I love having a fiber optic connection come directly into my home. That's right, it doesn't stop at the street and then regular cable comes in. No, it comes directly into my home and that gives me the best viewing experience that I could ever have. And now for a limited time, you can stream what you love for less with Verizon. Get one year of Peacock Premium for just $19.99. That's a savings of over 60%. Save on all your favorite shows and movies, from Traders to Love Island to Trolls Band Together to Yellowstone. Start saving on the subscription you love at verizon.com slash plus play. Available through Verizon Plus Play. New Peacock subscriptions only. 
After one year promotional period, subscription auto renews at then current annual price plus tax unless you cancel. $59.99 until July 17th, 2024. As of July 18th, 2024, the price will increase to $79.99. Additional terms apply. See verizon.com slash plus play for more details. Every memorable gift starts with a wondrous story. Giving a gift with energy helps it last just that bit longer. So imagine a story from the high seas where Jefferson's Ocean Bourbon and Rye whiskies are aged and transformed by unpredictable and unrelenting elements. They'll taste a journey in every sip, darkened by pounding waves, kissed by ocean breezes and caramelised by equatorial heat. Give the gift of adventure. Give Jefferson's Ocean Bourbon and Jefferson's Ocean Bourbon Rye. Please sip responsibly. Copyright 2023. Jefferson's Bourbon Company, Crestwood, Kentucky. We're back. Star Talk. Cosmic Queries. Cool Worlds Edition with David Kipping who started his own Cool Worlds group at Columbia's Department of Astronomy and Astrophysics, Columbia University, that is. Uh, David, you've got your, your, your successful and growing YouTube called Cool Worlds. Uh, what else? Tell me more about your social media footprint. Uh, the thing we're starting, and it's not, it's not live yet, is the Cool Worlds podcast, which I've recorded, I think, seven episodes of. We have seven episodes in the in the tank, and I'm just really excited to start sharing those. So as soon as we get that out, you can look on all the major platforms you get your podcast for, the Cool Worlds podcast. Excellent, excellent. And you on Twitter? Yes, David underscore Kipping is me on Twitter, yeah. Okay, so we left off. Tell me the chap's name, Chuck. Gene. Gene. Well, that could be boy or girl. It could be. So we do not know the gender. So Gene wanted to know what methods, tools, and tactics were borrowed from eclipsing binaries that to serve your cottage industry of, of cold worlds. Yeah, an enormous amount. I mean, there's, in fact, so many astronomers moved from that field of eclipsing binaries into the study of planets directly. That was the transition around the mid-90s when we first started finding planets. There's a really beautiful quote um, from Henry Norris Russell from 1953, I think he wrote this, that uh, eclipses are the royal road to success. And they they're kind of a shortcut. They provide you, it's almost like a cheat code in the universe. For some, for some reason, when these eclipses happen, it's possible to learn so much more about these planets than your technology would seem to enable. Like we can measure potentially the existence of, of moons, as we've already talked about. You can measure the atmosphere of the planets. You could look for rings. You could even measure the ablateness, whether it's spherical or football-shaped of a planet from those light curves. You can uh, measure the surface reflectivity, as we've talked about, these dark planets. There's an almost endless list of, of wonderful gems. The, the eclipses also enable you to see light from the star move through the atmosphere and then do spectroscopic studies. Correct. And that's of what, of course, gases. we're all excited about with JWST is uh, enabling. Um, so essentially, when the plant passes in front, the same thing as the plant passes in front of the star, some of the light Will, will hit the bulk of the planet, if you like, and it hit the solid surface, and that's never going to reach us. That's the shadow. But some of it will pass through the atmosphere. And if it passes through the atmosphere, only a fraction of it will reach us. And the fraction which reaches us will be different at different wavelengths, different colors. 
So our sky is blue. And so the Earth's atmosphere looks bigger in blue light. It scatters blue more than it scatters red. So an alien looking at the Earth and measuring our size would think that the Earth was a little bit bigger at blue wavelengths of light than it was in red wavelengths of light because of Raleigh scattering, because our sky is blue. And they'd even be able to tell that from afar. And go a bit further, you can get the chemicals, you can get oxygen, you can get uh, carbon dioxide, nitrogen. So you can actually figure out a lot about an exoplanet. All from, from eclipses. Henry Norris Russell was at one point the chair of the Department of Astrophysics at Princeton University. That's right, Henry yeah. Norris Russell. And uh, those, the real geeks out there, might have heard of the Hertzsprung-Russell diagram. That's the same Russell uh, yeah. for, for that diagram. You can Google it, Her Hertzsprung-Russell diagram. Yeah, HR diagram for short, uh, the affectionate term <laughs> for it. All right, cool. So Gene was right to realize that this trove of information brought to us from eclipsing binaries continues in the field of exoplanets whenever you have eclipses. There's a legacy, but it goes even beyond that. I mean, when you look at the theory that we, we borrowed from eclipsing binaries, and I studied this like Copal uh, was one of the founders of understanding elliptical orbits and modeling the durations of the eclipses, uh, the timing procession, the secular, all this kind of complicated celestial mechanics was all figured out for eclipsing binaries. So we took that and we still use it in exoplanets. But then we've gone further because, of course, we're measuring atmospheres, we're looking at planetary atmospheres. And stars, they have atmospheres, but they're not nearly as interesting as the atmospheres of planets and all the rich chemical molecular uh, chemistry that can happen inside them. So uh, I'd say I don't think the stars would agree with you on that. I think they have. That you just dis stellar <laughs> atmospheres. But well, I may be I may be biased, but I do think yes, planets no. <laughs> are infinitely infinitely uh, more complex than stars. We actually understand stars far better than we understand planets. You know, there's, there's we don't really understand what's going on inside most planets or how their atmospheres work, how clouds work, even on other planets. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. you know, we feel like we have a fairly good understanding of the interior of stars. Right, because clouds can be made of things other than water vapor. Right. Right. Yeah. You can right. methane, methane clouds, clouds, right? Yeah. Which, uh, by the way, I, I produce daily. No! <laughs> <laughs> Just in case anybody's wondering. Okay, no smoking around Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> I am a fire hazard. <laughs> All right, keep coming, Chuck. All right, here we go. Um, here we go. This is Kyla Hunter. And Kyla says, hello, Dr. Tyson and Professor Kipping. Could the asteroid and Kuiper belts be considered rings of the sun? Mm, so you got the asteroid belt, the Kuiper yeah. belt? Well, Saturn has rings. Right. And it's flat and it's all around. And so we got these two belts here. What are you thinking, David? Yeah, I mean, rocky rings? Sure, sure, you could call them that. I mean, it is possible that planets could have rocky rings. So if you're going to call rocky rings around planets rings... I don't see why you couldn't call rocky ring structures around stars the same thing. Sure, uh, you know, it, it, it's the question is how concentrated does it get? Because normally they right. form almost like disks rather than or annuli. They're, they're not often uh, so narrow. So it, I guess it depends on your on your structure. There is actually an exoplanet that was discovered that has a, a, a ring system that forces us to tackle this weird thing of definition. It was um, it was discovered by the Wobbs survey. I think it was like J1407b was the name, and it has a, a ring system that is. Well, but just Wasp is 
is it's a planet survey, right? Correct. So it's the, just small what, cameras. It's just small DSLR yeah, it's, cameras. It's, it's a consortium of small cameras. And what is the acronym? It's um, Wide Area Search for Planets, something like that. That sounds is right. That? I, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm not even sure. We all call it yeah. WASP. I was yeah. going to say. I was um, going to say maybe they're just white cameras. <laughs> WASP cameras. <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. probably the documents. We all right. we forget like, where oh, they come from eventually. Oh dear, I believe we have to take some pictures now. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Gracious me, I must say. Um, shall we take the pictures and then retire to the study? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> um, yeah, this, this particular planet, discovered by WASP, uh, has this gigantic ring system uh, that that is about the same. It's about one AU across. That's about the Earth's orbit around the Sun. It's like that's how large the ring structure around this exoplanet is. So this exoplanet is very very far from its star, and it has a gargantuan sized ring system. And there's huge cavities in it. And you know we're we're you know, questioning. I've seen artist illustrations of this. Now that you're mentioning it, yeah, it's a stunning thing. It's how does bizarre. it keep a stable ring while it's orbiting the star? It's it's very. We don't even know if it is orbiting the star. There's only one eclipse of this thing ever seen, which is where the evidence for the rings come from. It may not. It may have just been a chance <laughs> coincidence that it passed in front wow. of a star, and it was free floating, as far as we know. Okay. It could be a brown dwarf. It could even be a small star, perhaps. So there's a there's an awful lot we don't know about this particular case. We just have this one snapshot with this rich uh, apparent like ring system, and that's a good point where we don't know. It's so different to Saturn. What do you call that? Is it? A, a planetary ring system, or mm -hmm. is it a circumplanetary disk, which is a high, a completely different category normally of, of how right. we think about these things that evolve around planets. So when Jupiter, when it formed its moons, probably at one point had a disk around it, and from that disk formed the moons. Is this something like that? Or is it more like something, like an ancient ring system, more similar to Saturn? And so uh, it, it's hard. Classification is hard. And I, if you want to classify the 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 you know the asteroid belt that way i i wouldn't dismiss it yeah i think that's a fair way to call it okay cool mm -hmm. cool okay all right check we got time for a few more okay let's go with alan rayer uh what are the major interesting astronomical events that we can expect with respect to exoplanets for the coming year it, I'd love that. Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then he says, uh, hi, I'm from Lithuania. Chuck, you probably already killed my last name. but <laughs> And you're probably right, but you didn't give me a phonetic spelling, so you're... you're so give, it, give us that last you're name. You're Alan Rayer, or Ryer, R-A-Y-E-R. R-A-Y-E-R? Yeah. So. Rayer. Rayer, Ryer, yeah. one or the other. But but what's what's coming down the pike? Dr. Kipping, what 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 can we look forward to that might yeah. be exciting? More there, space there's a bunch of stuff. Or, or just you guys on Earth. The, I, I'm excited. Let's see what I'm excited about. There's obviously JWC is in the sky observing exoplanets right now. And it's observing TRAPPIST 1, which is one of the most fascinating exoplanetary systems we've ever discovered. It it probably won't be sensitive enough to detect signs of life on those planets, but it could perhaps tell us whether these planets have an atmosphere that is similar. And these are rocky planets in the habitable zone of their stars. It could tell us whether these planets have um, an atmosphere similar to a primordial Earth when the Earth was first born. It was probably a CO2-rich atmosphere. It could detect that quite easily. It could detect a methane-rich atmosphere. It probably can't go all the way to detecting oxygen on these planets. But it's going to be our first glimpse 
of the chemical composition of a habitable rocky planet's atmosphere. And that that's going to come in the next year, two years from JDST. I'm Wait, how many? Of. Isn't that a multi planet system? How many planets there's, are there? At system? least seven Earth sized, in fact, slightly sub Earth sized planets Crazy. in that system. Uh, the Ooh. seven dwarfs, they're all packed very, very close to this M dwarf, all within the uh, orbit of Mercury, I think, or seven of them. Mm -hmm. So, very, very compact system. Wow. Um, so, that's very exciting. Then we have uh, Plato, which is a European mission. Which is coming down the pipe? I think that's sort of Plato. 20... Plato, yeah. After the Plato. after the philosopher, so that's okay. in 2026, I think. We're expecting a launch. That's like a a super Kepler or even a super test. These are two missions which NASA launched to hunt for planets by eclipses. Plato is doing the same thing on steroids. And then down the road, we have from that we have uh, W first, uh, which is this old spy satellite which was given to NASA, and it's basically a Hubble-sized a mirror that the the NSA were just like we don't we don't need this anymore because it's such old technology you can have it and do something with it so we we've repurposed it and launching it as a, basically a Hubble class telescope that will do all sorts of stuff including some exoplanet science uh, wow. using a technique called gravitational microlensing so it, it should find thousands of objects using this technique so we're very excited about that and then of course you've got Vera Rubin uh, formerly known as LSST. Um, which is not really an exoplanet mission per se, but I think it could do some interesting things in terms of detecting planets around white dwarf stars. So the sun will eventually become a white dwarf star when it dies. And LSST, we wrote a paper about that in my team, we think could be the perfect telescope to detect thousands of rocky planets, even smaller than that, even asteroid-sized things around these white dwarfs. Well, you know what? That brings us to Captain James Riley, who... Uh, just as a perfect follow-up to everything you just said. If we found biosignatures on an exoplanet, what would be our next course of action considering Ooh, they're like so it. far away? Uh -huh. I like it. So what, what do I you like do? You, you're the dog that caught the car. Mm -hmm. So the, the immediate Chase reaction the I would have, the immediate reaction I have would be skepticism <laughs> because I think we're all going to be dubious. So the first factor is, is it real? Because we had a biosignature detection already on Venus. Right, remember that there was phosphine claimed on Venus. I remember that phosphine. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know that—that's the reaction that played out after that is probably similar to the reaction that will play out for an exoplanet. Obviously, it's—it's it's a very we can actually visit Venus. We could actually potentially go there and do a better job. But the skepticism in your that, lifetime can, that, yeah. that happened, <laughs> I think, will be similar to the skepticism that happens with an exoplanet claim. Well, just in all fairness to the Venus skepticism, the. That would have been life somehow thriving in Venus's atmosphere, whereas these other signatures would presumably indicate surface life. Possibly, right. I mean, we won't even know. I mean, if we detect a biosignature, we don't know where that life is. It could be in the ocean, and the gases right, come right. up. It could be on the surface. It mm -hmm. could be some kind of whale that that floats through the clouds. You know, there's we just okay. there's no way of telling from the gases alone. Um, and an air whale. Yeah, mm. yeah I love <laughs> it. But knock yourself out. You can have you know, any kind of life you want Floating to explain device, the biosignature. Yeah. And in fact, it might not. So the two questions: Is it really? Is the signal real? Can another team get it? Which has obviously been some problems with Venus with phosphine. And then two: Even if it is real, does that actually mean it's life? Because there are ways that nature can produce biosignatures without biology and just and just trip you up. Oh, so there'll mm -hmm. be a there'll be a decade of arguing and follow up observations and 
debates and it'll, it'll get heated of people trying to figure out what's really going on. And there'll be some false starts. I guarantee you there'll be several biosignature claims that will just not be real. But that's okay. That's how science works. Science works through, we're not dogmatic. It's corrective. We're allowed to make mistakes and fix it. And that's, that's science at its healthiest. So just expect that down the road. Um, but eventually, uh, yeah, it would be great if we could one day start imaging these planets, maybe building something like Louvoir or HabEx that people have been talking about, these kind of supersized telescopes that could image the pale blue dots from many light years away. You know, achieve Sagan's dream of a pale blue dot from, from across an entirely different star system. And then after that, uh, we'll be trying to just learn more and more about it. Does it have moons? You know, what's, what's the continental structure like? How much water does it have? We'll do as much as we can remotely. And perhaps in the distant future, we might be able to send something. But it's, it's certainly not something within our capabilities uh, in the near future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Chuck. I don't know if we have time for any more. I think we're done here. Oh man! Let me check the. Yeah, yeah, we're done. Oh, well. We're done. Oh well. We're done. But I think we got a lot, uh, lot, Dave, lot more uh, questions. Might have to come and do a part two. Like, yeah, happy yeah. to and do David, so, yeah, guys. Yeah, you, you have fulfilled our expectation that these are dope ass worlds. Yes, <laughs> I think. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to rename the, the you know have to rename the whole team I think after this stuff dope ass world <laughs> dope ass world all right David great to know you're just up the street from us yeah Columbia University Chuck good to have you man always a pleasure all right Neil deGrasse Tyson here your personal astrophysicist keep looking up Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.